When I was in fifth grade, an, an investment broker came in, spoke to my class about the stock market, which I thought, thinking back on, is a little advanced for fifth graders. But I, it's burned into my memory, and it's probably the only moment of fifth grade that's burned into my memory. I don't remember anything else. But, but the reason is that he was, he was talking to us about how the stock market works, how Wall Street works, and how to invest. And he's, he was saying, like, you know, a certain portion of, of your retirement should maybe go into something that's a little more, you know, kind of volatile and risky because there's, you know, high risk, high reward. But for the most part, you should invest in stable, uh, powerful companies that, that you can just really trust and, and that are, you know, staples in the economic world and, and that you, you know, there's no, you never have to worry about it. And then he said, you know, for example, me, I have almost my whole retirement in Montana Power. 5% annually, no question. And, and then I, that's why it's burned into my memory because I remember as a sixth grader, I don't even know why I was reading the paper, but I read about the whole catastrophe. And, and I thought about that and, you know, I end up learning a really good lesson in, uh, in investment, and that's you know diversified portfolio. You never never put all your money in one place, you know. And and, and no matter what seems stable in this world, it's it's not it's not. And so I know I know bringing that up in Butte's like a the quickest way to start a bar fight, you know. So, so I I bring it up reluctantly, and I've already talked to a lot of people this weekend who. Who, ha- who lost everything in that. And so I know that it hits close to home, but I bring it up because it's just, it's just burned into my memory in that way, uh, even though you know, I was all the way over in Billings. And I also bring it up because today's gospel challenges the principle that I learned there, you know, the principle of not trusting in anything in this world. Uh, because Jesus demands our whole person, you know, the rich man approaches Jesus alone. He approaches him by his own initiative. No small talk. He kneels right at his feet and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And a lot, you can tell a lot just from the question. You know, this, this young man is no rookie in the spiritual life. You know, he's, he knows, he's been there. He's, he's searching. Uh, he knows his faith. He, it's not a question of a beginner. But he also is obviously dissatisfied. He's not happy with the life that he's living right now. Whatever he has now, he doesn't think it's enough. Uh, and Jesus is the new rabbi on the block. He's the one who is, is making waves. He's speaking with authority. And so he brings the question to him, looking for uh, some profound answer. And instead, Jesus doesn't take the bait. He, he gives the most stock, you know, kind of typical Jewish answer you could possibly give. The Ten Commandments. You know, here's the Ten Commandments. Don't kill anyone. Don't commit adultery. On and on. And the rich man obviously just isn't satisfied with that answer. He's like, I know the Torah. You don't need to give me that answer. And so he says, teacher, I have observed all of these things since my youth. You know, he's done all of that and it's not enough. The law doesn't satisfy. And, And perhaps there's something in his voice that that moves Jesus because he looks at him and he loves him. It's a powerful passage in the scriptures, one of the most powerful. It's one that's worth praying over for the rest of your life. 
Jesus looks at the man and loves him. And then he calls him to discipleship. He gives him the most radical answer possible. He says, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have. Give to the poor and come and follow me. You'll have treasure in heaven. So to this man who's had success in all of life's endeavors, you know, he's obviously a virtuous man who's been following the commandments as well as he possibly can. He's got business savvy. He's been successful. And Jesus tells him, it's you I want for myself, not your accomplishments. I don't care how well you follow the law. I want you. So empty yourself and I will fill you up. Yet, I mean, you just have to be surprised. Jesus looks at this man, loves him, calls him to be his disciple, and he walks away. Walks away sad. How could this scene possibly end in this way? You know, it's such a powerful scene, and yet it ends with him walking away. I think Jesus answers this question with with something even more difficult You know, he says, how hard it will be for those with riches to enter the kingdom of God. And so the question comes to us, do we love Christ above everything? Above everything in this world? If he called us to leave all of our possessions behind and follow him, would we do it? You know, he doesn't call everyone in that radical way. But if he did, would we follow him? Or would we walk away sad because of what we're attached to in this world? I think we need to be brutally honest with ourselves on this point. Because regardless of whether the Lord calls us to that, we have to be living as though that's the way we live. We have to be detached from the world and live for Christ in a radical way. And that's a difficult thing. I mean, that is the difficult thing in this life. Uh, and And if you find it difficult, which we all should... You know, if we don't find it difficult, we're not taking it seriously. Um, The disciples did, and they were amazed when he said that. And so he says again to them to reinforce the point, as he usually does. Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And, And the disciples saw before their eyes this kind of archetype of the righteous man, this young man who's who's in a sense, blessed, according to the Old Covenant. He's, he's wealthy, he's intelligent, he's following the law, and he walked away. And so they think to themselves, who can possibly be saved if this kid can't? And so they ask, who then could possibly be saved? And Jesus says, for man it's impossible, but for God, all things are possible. And this just isn't a super encouraging answer. Like, Who's, who's going to be saved then? Well, it's impossible for you. I think the, we, we find some of an, somewhat of an answer when we look back to last week's gospel. Uh, who can enter the kingdom of God? We, last week's gospel, you had Jesus bringing the children up and saying, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these, to children. And what is it about children... That, that, in a sense, we lose as adults. What's that, what's that childlike thing that we, that we tend to lose as we grow up? I think it's that dependence upon those who care for us. You know, as a kid, I, 
knew I could do anything, not because I could do anything. I was incapable of doing anything. But I knew I could do anything because my dad could do anything, and I was on his team. You know, like, doesn't matter what I want, I'm going to get it because dad's going to get it for me. And that's the attitude of a child that's, that we need to have as Christians, that total dependence upon the one who we know can do anything for us. That's Christian hope. Can we get to heaven? No. But God can get us there. And to be childlike in this way is so difficult for us uh, because we're prideful and because we don't like to trust entirely in one thing. You know, it's the diversified portfolio principle. Uh, trusting, trusting in one person or thing is just kind of goes against uh, our fallen nature. So how, how can we live this childlike simplicity? I don't, have, I don't have a great answer for that, except to say that, that when we do reject Christ's loving gaze, as we often do, you know, when the Lord looks upon us with love and calls us to something and we reject him and walk away sad, we just have to return every single time, over and over and over again. And then once we return, just try to stay a little bit longer in the loving gaze of Christ that time. You know, just try to stay with the Lord a little bit longer, to answer that call a little bit further, uh, to trust him a little bit more. And then we'll find what St. Paul says in the second reading to be true. You know, indeed the word of God is living and effective, sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating soul and spirit, joints and marrow, able to discern the reflections and thoughts of the heart. we, We see this in the lives of those we love. You know, when I, I saw Christ's love in a particular way in my dad, who, who as, a, as a home builder, wanted, always wanted to live you know, out of the city in some beautiful little home in the countryside that was like his childhood dream. And he gave it up to live in a cookie-cutter house in the suburbs that was poorly built. And he hated it. And he did it because he loved us and wanted to give us more. You know, wanted to provide for his children. I saw it in my mom who like wore these goofy old glasses for so long, like 30 years, and they came back into style she wore them for so long because she refused to spend any money on herself and spent every penny on us. You know, and that's heroic sacrifice. And they could say with Peter, you know, in that moment, we've given up everything to follow you. And to them and to us, when we sacrifice for those the Lord has given to us to care for and sacrifice for him, he says, Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left anything for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this life with persecutions and eternal life. So for us, there's going to be times daily when we reject Christ's loving gaze and walk the other direction like the rich young man. That that doesn't have to be the end of the story. We just return to him over and over again. And we can know that he's never going to turn his loving gaze away from us. He's always looking upon us with love. And we can be confident that he never tires of telling us that he wants us for himself. He's always telling you that he wants you for himself. Your heart and not your accomplishments. And this is difficult, but it's the truth. 
You know, that Jesus Christ must rule in our hearts. He's the only one who can rule. Nothing else in this world can have any rule over our human heart. And if we are to enter into the kingdom of God, there's only one to whom we bend the knee, and that's Jesus Christ. There's only one to whom we bend the knee. And only one phrase on our lips that really matters. And that's Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen.